0: What does emotional fitness really look like and why is it key to building a happier life? That's today's conversation with Natalie Kogan. So strap in, get ready, because competitors, we're kicking off a brand new day, brand new episode. Let's go! What's up competitor nation, Jake here, your chief encouragement officer, back with a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast, and I'm so excited you're here today as I get to welcome in Natalie Kogan to talk about what makes you happier, what is emotional fitness, why do these conversations matter in terms of our overall growth, our overall happiness, and most importantly, our overall pursuits of meaning. Natalie and I connected through some mutual friends, and I have to say, this was one of the most fun conversations I've had offline and then as well as our online conversation for you. Uh, She's full of energy. Uh, Her and her family were actually refugees that came to the U.S. when she was 13 from the Soviet Union. She started her journey in the projects of Detroit and ended up climbing, pursuing a a corporate success to where she was one of the most successful people. She was a venture capitalist at the age of 26. She had an incredible family, but what she found was her life was unfulfilled. She was truly just stuck and burnout. And we talk a little bit about that journey and how toward the end of that journey, when she was just kind of at a rock bottom, she had all of these things in life that you would assume, check the box, that would make you happy, the, the things that we see as success in terms of money or how you climb up the corporate ladder. And it wasn't making her happier. In fact, it was leaving her very unfulfilled. And so it was through that process that she kind of started going through these five steps of emotional fitness, how that completely transformed her perspective, transformed her mindset, and transformed how she showed up in the world. And so there's so much value in today's conversation that's going to help you in the pursuit of that meaningful victory. It's going to help you show up and compete every single day, and it's going to help you live a happier life. And so I'm excited to be able to have Natalie on today's show for us as we talk about that Before we dive into the show, I wanna remind you about the Morning Motivation Text Club. If you are already in it, thank you. I love talking to you every morning. And if you're not, get ready to start your day fired up. All you gotta do to get signed up is to text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's code podcast to 972-945-9113. And every single morning, you will get a text from me not an automated bot, nothing scheduled, me rolling over, waking up or leaving the gym in a sweat, sending you a message to encourage you, to empower you and to equip you to show up and compete today. And so I'd love to have that morning conversation with you as well. So if you're not signed up yet, text podcast to 972 945 As we finish out the month strong, I want to remind you of a couple of ways that you can take your game to a new level this spring with Compete Every Day. The first, if you haven't yet, go grab a copy of my book. It came out almost one year ago. We are coming up on the birthday of the Compete Every Day book. In it, I dive into the seven choices that you can make on a daily basis to increase your opportunities for success, improve your winning mindset, and most importantly, continue to show up and compete every day. We talk about what's within your control, the leadership impact that you can make on others, and the importance of outworking your talent. So if you want to grab a copy of that book, you can grab one at competeeveryday.com and even better, the code podcast will get you 15% off any order at competeeveryday.com. So if you want to grab the book, some wristbands, stickers, maybe a new flag for your garage or office, be sure to do that at competeeveryday.com using the code podcast for 15% off and then get connected with the community. We've got a thriving community of thousands of competitors over at competitornation.com people encouraging each other, equipping each other, pushing each other to be better each and every day. Coming off of March, today is the last day of the month that we are all finishing out our 175, 50, and 25 challenge. That was air squats, sit-ups, lunges, and burpees. We did it every single day this month, and we have a brand new challenge kicking off in April. So get into the group to get in the know about that to get signed up and to take on these challenges to be mentally stronger, physically stronger, and more prepared to compete every day for that victory you want. Now, let's get into today's episode talking about happiness, emotional fitness, and how we can better compete every day with my friend, Natalie Kogan. All right, Natalie, kicking off today's brand new show, I've got to ask, what makes you happy?
1: All right, I'm gonna to try to give you a short list, <laughs> but let's start with top three. Okay. Um, first is having some control over my schedule. I know it's a weird one to start with, but it's one I've learned in the pandemic more than ever, feeling like I'm in some control. Two, really, really good dark chocolate. The darker, the better.
0: Ooh, and three,
1: okay watching the british baking show with my husband and my daughter it's been a marathon for us it's the one thing we've been doing like middle of the week wednesday everyone's tired today we're planning on doing it later we get takeout british baking show and we sit on the floor in our living room and it's called a picnic because we don't usually watch tv so that's my short list for today
0: so do you watch the show and then have y'all attempted to recreate things you see on the show
1: Funny you ask. Funny you ask. So it was my birthday in December, at the end of December, and my husband and my daughter. Uh, we always were big into like experiences as gifts, because um, we all have enough stuff. And so for my birthday, they did a Mama British baking show. And so they actually dressed up, and they're like, you know, the um, chef hats, and the they had the sign, and they did a competition throughout the day. So in the morning, they went head to head on breakfasts. Then they went head to head on lunch and then they baked something. So um, it was a serious competition. I mean, it was my daughter cooks more than my husband. I'm the big cook in the family. So she had an edge, but it was pretty serious.
0: I love it. I love it. So uh, listeners are probably wondering why we're starting out talking about baking shows and what makes us happy. But your work is around essentially living and working happier. Uh, throughout our life, you talk about emotional fitness. You talk about happiness. What inspired you to pursue the path of happiness? Mm. Were you yourself unhappy, or were you just always a naturally happy person? You're like, why is everybody else not?
1: <laughs> Great question. Uh, short short answer is the former. So I um, so I grew up in Russia, and I came to the states with my parents. We came as refugees when I was 13. And you know, just think back when you're 13. I think the last thing you want to do is to move to a different country. Yep live in the project, have no money, not speak English, everyone is making fun of you. So I was really miserable. And I also just come from a tradition, like there's a lot of struggle in my family. And I kind of come from a culture where struggling was considered good. Like if you're doing something good in life, you should be suffering, you know? So um, I struggled for most of my life to feel, I don't know, forget happy. Let's just like, I struggled to feel content um, but I also kind of used to think of happiness, like I thought I just wasn't successful enough. So I thought if I work hard, or if I grit more, if I push myself more, I'll become, you know, I'll achieve a lot, and then I'll become really successful. And then I thought happiness is like this nirvana that waits for you after that. So I tried all that for 20 years, and I did achieve an incredibly successful career. I mean, out of the projects, I ended up you know, I work, I built a great career as a business executive. I started five different companies. I had a beautiful family, all the things. And I still didn't feel that sense of contentment. And then I completely burnt out. And that's when I started to just find for myself, create a different way to live. And I did a ton of research and psychology and neuroscience and did a lot of trial and error. And that's when I developed this, what I call the happier method, which I, you know, now I'm so grateful to teach to hundreds of thousands of people. But so my my origin story is I really struggled. And so I tried to figure out a way for myself and figure out if it works for me, it's got to work for other people. And that became my life's work.
0: I'm curious, do you believe that the struggle aspect and, and really the challenges that you endured immigrating to this country and, and everything you had to overcome throughout your career, do you think those challenges set you up to ultimately succeed down this path because you just mentioned the word trial and error. And so many people are afraid to try new things, Mm. to test things, to figure things out because they're afraid of failure. But I I see a lot of times people that overcome challenges, they're just like, it's just another challenge. It's just something else to overcome.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned two words in there and that distinction between challenge and struggle is at the core of my biggest lesson. And this is why this has become my life work challenge in life is constant, right? I used to be a yep. techie, I used to be at Microsoft, I used to run tech teams. So I say, challenge is a feature of life. It's not a bug. To be human is hard. There's just constant challenge and we cannot control them. They're always coming. Sometimes we have more, sometimes we have less, but challenge is a constant life, And challenge is an opportunity, right? Adversity yep. is an opportunity to grow and develop, but struggle is optional. So see, I call BS on the whole struggle is real thing, challenge is real, struggle is optional, we can reduce struggle. And what I mean by that is, when you practice these skills to strengthen your emotional fitness, to strengthen your resilience, you actually struggle less through those challenges, which means you have more emotional, mental, and physical energy to give to the challenge, right? And you're more successful through it. So that distinction is actually at the core of my next book, which I'm working on right now, which is coming out next uh, winter around this time. But that's, that was a huge lesson for me, Jake, because I always kind of gravitated towards struggle. And I, I am the first to say that challenges and adversity, they do help us grow. But the distinction between challenge and struggle, challenges from the outside, struggle is how we react to it. And there's no glory in struggle. We can reduce it, and then we actually have more energy to get through the challenge and to grow.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the less inner turmoil, the less things going on within us, the greater we have for output, which I, I absolutely love. So uh, this concept of emotional fitness, uh, a lot of people hear that, and they may think emotional health or mental health. Mm. What do you mean by emotional yeah. fitness? Um, and talk to us a little bit about how that kind of created and, and the concepts within it.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So here's um, kind of the, there's kind of these three core principles that kind of became part of my method, which is, again, these are all principles I created for myself initially. And the first was that my happiness, my well-being, my emotional fitness, it's a skill. And so it's not something that some people have and some people don't, that's what I used to think. I used to think that some people are just like better at going through hard stuff and they're less stressed and some people aren't. And that was a fantastic excuse. I just wanna like really own that. That was a fantastic excuse to keep myself in struggle. Oh, it's just how I am. My parents are like this, I come from that culture. So having the recognition that it's a skill And then it's an active thing. So the way that I think you remember, I want
0: to ask you real quick. Do you remember that kind of, I would say light bulb moment, because it it really sounds like you distinguish going from a victim mindset to more Victor. I am in control. I can change things. I can adapt things. It's not, I'm stuck. The fixed and growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks about as well. Do you remember the moment where that kind of started to shift for you?
1: Yeah. And well, that moment was in a very, very dark place. So about six years ago, I completely burnt out. And I, I I mean that in the most classic way of burnout, but worse. I mean, I got to the most hopeless, darkest place in my life. I stopped being able to function, right? So that grit and just willing myself to push, 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 push without ever taking care of my emotional needs or mental needs or physical needs, it just stopped working. And I I'm being really explicit about this because it wasn't a minor event. I just stopped being able to function at work in my family. And I had to put my life on hold. I I share this a lot with my audiences. I tell them I am trying to teach them these skills so they don't get to that place. I had to put my company on hold. I had to kind of withdraw because I had to learn a different way to live. And in that darkness and kind of searching for a new way, that's when I started to have that insight of I have a choice right now. I can either just descend into darkness and just, I don't know, survive or not survive, or I can make a choice. And that was the realization. I didn't have the words around it. I didn't have clarity around it. I didn't have any pretty sentences around it, but that was, and that, and that is something that I think is so crucial to recognize and what you're bringing out is so relevant is we all have our backgrounds. We all have our DNA and life circumstances. We all have a lot that has happened to us, but at every moment we can make a choice. We actually have agency. Agency is ability to positively influence our future. We can make that choice. And that choice is moment by moment, which is how it was for me. I didn't sit there one day and say, okay, I got it. I'm gonna practice emotional fitness as a skill. It's just like practicing physical fitness. I didn't have any of that. But there was a moment in which, as you said, I made a choice. Instead of sitting there and crying over my life and how awful everything is and all the things I've messed up, I made a choice in that moment to say, okay, what can I do to move forward? And that's the choice. And that is part of emotional fitness, which is a skill right, of fueling our emotional, mental, and physical well-being and energy. And just like you know, if you want to improve your physical fitness, right, you talk about performance a lot, if you want to improve your physical fitness, you don't sit there and complain about all the things you haven't done, and all the things that haven't happened, and all the, you don't do that, that's not going to help you improve, you go to the gym, you get a workout in, you go for a walk, you lift some weights, you eat a healthier diet, you practice, but it's also a lifelong thing, right, like if you stop going to the gym, if you stop lifting weights, if you stop taking your runs, the physical fitness reduces. The same thing about emotional fitness. But that was the insight. It was in that moment of a really dark place.
0: Interesting. I, I'm fascinated by kind of everyone's, I would say, pivot point. And I love how you emphasize that point of the choice. It, it Our choices are independent just because we've always done it away every next moment next choice can be the choice that changes it if we are to choose it so let's talk about the areas of emotional fitness kind of there are five correct
1: five skills so there's five five core skills yes let's talk about them so and before we talk i just want to say one quick thing because i think this is so crucial making that choice requires courage and this is something that i think is really important to recognize and so you know I, I, so I, I'm 45. So this, I went through this when I was in my late thirties, 39, 40. The easier path was to just say, you know what, I've lived, I'm, I'm too old for this. Like I've lived this way for a long time. It takes courage because you have, we have to break through the story that we've told ourselves, right? We have to break through my whole identity was tied to, uh, it's always hard for me. I'm always struggling. So it was scary. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that, we always have the option to make the choice but it takes courage we have to have courage so and that, i want to
0: point out on that note as well for those listening or watching Courage does not mean you're not afraid, uh, that there is no fear. It's actually you're making the choice in the face of fear, being absolutely terrified. That's what makes it courageous. You're doing it while feeling fear, or being in the face of it. So that I really wanted to emphasize that because a lot of times people hear bravery and courage and like, oh, that's cool, but you don't have the same fears I do or you're not going through it. It's, it's no, yes, I do. I'm, I'm hearing the same. I'm feeling the same. I'm just making this choice in the midst of it.
1: Yeah, it's a really great point, actually. I think it's really important to say. I think one of the worst pieces of advice ever is to be fearless because, excuse me, it's complete BS. So I study a lot of brain and neuroscience. It is not possible to be a human being and be fearless. Fear is your brain's natural response to any kind of possible danger. Yep. By the way, and this is really important to say, your brain cares only about one thing. It definitely not your happiness, definitely not your well-being, definitely not your success or performance. Your brain's number one job is to keep you safe from danger. Yep. That's it, that's all it cares about. So your brain is afraid a lot. And that's actually at the core of kind of how I developed my method is to acknowledge that and acknowledge there's nothing wrong with you if you have fear, that means you're alive. Yep. Fantastic, and so I think it's horrible advice. and. For me also, I just have to say, it kept me back a lot because I kept waiting to be fearless, right? And it never happened. So I think it's so important what you say. Um, My favorite definition of courage is from Mark Twain, who said that courage is not the absence of fear, it's the mastery of fear. And we can grow our courage. And the awesome thing about courage, uh, it's not something you have or you don't. It's something you develop by doing things that require it. I didn't have courage to drop my story as Natalie's always struggling, always doing really hard things. But I made that choice moment by moment. Let me try something new. I was still afraid. I still didn't know where I was going to lead. But as you do things that require courage, your courage grows to be bigger than you fear. So I think it's a really, really great point. All right, here are the yep. five skills. Yep. So the first skill is acceptance, and it's always the first one. Now, I just got to own up to you. I used to hear this word acceptance. I used to hate it. Cause it's like, woo, like, oh, I accept everything as it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. I'd just be like, you know, cause I was a fighter, right? I had to Well, because I was just ignorant. Acceptance is a skill of looking at how things are, whatever challenges ahead of you and how you feel with clarity, which is focusing on the facts instead of judgment, which is, this is not how it should be. This is the most horrible thing that's happened. And then using that clarity as your starting point to say, given how it is. What is the next best thing I can do to help me move through it? And you know, acceptance is absolutely essential anytime you're facing any challenge. It's the first skill we must practice because of what you and I just talked about. Your brain is looking for danger everywhere. The minute it senses any kind of uncertainty, any kind of difficulty, the fear antenna go up. It's like, oh, oh potential danger, potential danger. And it can be anything, small or big. And so the brain makes up a lot of stories. And the brain also has a natural negativity bias. The brain is much more focused on anything that is wrong or could go wrong. And so the first thing, the first skill we need to practice is to look at the challenge as it is versus the dramatic negative story our brain has told us. So that's why acceptance is always, always first.
0: Well, and, uh, and the one thing I love about that, that we've hit on here on the show, uh, a few weeks ago, we had Brian Kite, a daily discipline was on, and he talked about the importance of of realism and optimism and and not the the fake positivity that's all over the internet of everything's perfect and the sky is falling, the building's on fire, but I'm great. It's acknowledging the importance of acknowledging the reality we're in while still then choosing what's the best thing I can do in this situation. How can I improve it? Where's my optimism? And so I really love hearing how you packaged it because it just reinforces what listeners have heard in the past in different ways um, of just the importance of being real with what's going on, but not, ad, or not submitting to them. It's still being in control, owning that agency of what's the next best thing I can do.
1: A thousand percent. And part of that realism is to also acknowledge your emotions. To not, you know, the, the, this is another huge lesson that I've learned. And this is something that is so difficult for us humans, right? Is I used to think that there's like positive emotions and negative emotions, and I got to feel more positive and run away from the negative. But you're a human being. We are not meant to feel good all the time. So, part of acceptance is also acknowledging our own difficult feelings. And by the way, research shows that when you acknowledge a difficult feeling, so I'm stressed out about something, or I worry about something, or I fear about something, you actually feel it for a shorter amount of time and you feel it with less intensity because you've now acknowledged it. Your brain, I, I often talk about our brain as a small child, right? So for, you know, if you've ever seen a small child, you don't need to have one. We've all seen small children who really want something, yep. just ignoring it does not work, right? So when you brain, when you have an emotion, it's coming from the amygdala, which is, this is the neuroscience geek in me, but it's the reptile, the back part of your yep. brain. That's the emotional, right? That emotion is really strong. Ignoring it doesn't work. So all this fake positivity, it actually doesn't work. And so part of acceptance that is absolutely essential is to also acknowledge with clarity how you feel. But then again, to not sit in it, acknowledge it, give yourself an opportunity to feel it. And then you say, okay, this is how it is. This is how I feel. What is the next best thing I can do? And I think it's really important to highlight. It's not how do I make everything better or how do I fix the problem? Sometimes you can't. But what is the next best thing? Just one next step, and the awesome thing about our brain is once we identify one step, it thinks of another and another and another. So yeah, yeah absolutely, and, and I, that's and why I, I wanna... talk about acceptance. It's always, always the first skill.
0: And I and I love kind of continuing on this rabbit hole. The one thing I want to point out of what you just shared is uh, when we don't acknowledge those negative feelings and and those emotions, physically the the outcome can be disastrous for it. And I can say this as a guy who is in his late 20s and got shingles and I had no clue what was going on I go to the doctor I was like I've got a staph infection on my leg and they didn't know and then like a week later I was like it's everywhere and I go back and she's like oh you have staff," and doesn't even ask anything else she's like what's going on in your life and I was like well just broke up with a girlfriend started a business and my parents yes. just divorced and she's like do you talk to a therapist I was like no, no. I, <laughs> why would I talk to anybody of she's course like, you need to go talk to someone because your body is literally yeah. not handling any of those emotions. And so for us listening, stress and anger, keeping all of these bottled up, not acknowledging them, not talking about them can be disastrous for our physical health as well. So I love that that becomes the starting point for us. So acceptance, starting that, that first place, where do we go next?
1: The next skill is gratitude. Now I could, gratitude is actually where I began, um, because that that was the research I read first, but gratitude. And again, whenever I mention gratitude, usually folks nod, like I think we all kind of know what gratitude is, but I talk about gratitude. Gratitude is like broccoli. So I think we all know broccoli is good for us, right? It's got a lot of nutrients and vitamins. Our parents always try to get us to eat it, but knowing that broccoli is good for you does not give you the health benefits of broccoli. Even buying broccoli, like I have broccoli in my fridge right now. does not give me the benefits i have to eat the broccoli the same with gratitude so many people are familiar yeah yeah i heard it's good for you like gratitude practice yeah it's important but it only gives you the benefit if you make it a daily habit so gratitude is a skill the way that i define it of zooming in on what is good or okay or kind or meaningful in your life even when things are challenging and actively sharing your gratitude with others and the reason gratitude is so essential i touched on this is Our brains are naturally over-focusing on everything that's wrong, because danger usually comes with negative stimuli. And so unless you are practicing gratitude, you're walking through your life with one emotional eye closed. Your brain is lying to you. You have the wrong emotional picture of your life because it's ignoring a lot of things that are okay, because it's looking for danger. And so gratitude is a really important skill. It's actually one of the core contributors to resilience. Is gratitude because what it helps is it helps the brain to not spin out into this negativity spiral and it just balances it out. So one of the most important things I just want to say about gratitude is it's not a band-aid to cover up difficult feelings or challenges. It is you saying to your brain, dear brain, I know this is hard and I know you're looking for all the things that are going to go wrong. That's okay but please let's remember, here are things in my life that are okay. And that actually balances out the brain. Again, it gives you strength to go through whatever the challenges is ahead of you.
0: Love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So moving on to number three.
1: Yep. Which is um, self-care. Now another word or two, I used to hate.
0: Yep. Because... Yep. I was going to say the woo-woo.
1: Oh, woo-woo. <laughs> also, I mean, I just, you know, I don't even think there's a translation into Russian around, like, what is self-care? But also, I mean, I spent most of my life, it was like, okay, self-care is for lazy people. I definitely wasn't lazy. And it's also, or it's for people who, they have suffered so much, they have achieved enough, and now they deserve to take care of themselves. So that was my excuse, right? And these are, I'm just sharing, because I think it's really important to kind of witness our own stories. That was my story. Um, And so when I burnt out, I realized, wow, I've spent my entire life completely ignoring the fact that I am a human being. I have emotional, mental, and physical needs. So the way that I define self-care is it's a skill of fueling your emotional, mental, and physical energy. And when you say it that way, I think it'd be really hard to say that it's a luxury or woo-woo, right? The analogy I use is a car, right? If you have a car, the car cannot run without gas or electricity, right? It needs one of those. And when the car runs out of gas or electricity, it cannot do its job of being a car. So if you are always just using your energy and you never fuel it, you're going to run out. You're not going to be able to do your job of being a human being. And I think it is so, so important to break through these kind of colors around self-care of like, woo-woo, It's just like going to a spa or doing yoga. Self-care is about taking care of your energy and your energy is your fuel as a human being.
0: Yeah. And and for those listening, I mean, we've talked about this so much as the show, because as leaders, like the old adage and and funny slogan, you can't pour from an empty cup, but you can't impact and influence others. And and you essentially do a disservice to your team and the people in your care when you show up with with empty, when you show up with nothing in the tank, because you're robbing them of the opportunity to influence them. And we we laughed off air about just kind of the post-speaking ritual. Like when we get done speaking or at a workshop, we have to take care of ourselves because that, that energy has been spent. There's gotta be a chance to just kind of recover refuel to, to even just fly home in instance. And so it's just so incredibly important that, you know, as people come in contact with the show and the brand, like we talk about competing every day, but we're not talking from a physical sense. You don't work out every day. You don't, but where are you trying to grow? Where are you getting better? Where are you developing? And it's not the, Hey, I've got to hustle 20 hours a day. I sleep for it's, when, when you're getting your eight hours of sleep or that once a month where you're sleeping in 10 to 12 hours, cause you're burning yourself. Like, how are you taking care of yourself? Mm-hmm. Because unless we do that, we will never be able to properly take care and lead and influence others. So yeah, I, I, really I think on it's on that.
1: No, I think it's a really important point. And there's a couple of things I want to say on that. The kind of the shorthand that I use for myself and I, you know, about half of my work is with leaders. And this is, I think leaders have the, leaders and parents have the greatest, parents are leaders, resistance to self-care Oh yeah, because it's selfish, because, you know, servant leadership, taking care of others. And I tell them this, you cannot give what you don't have. Yep. You may think you can, but you are bullshitting yourself. And one of the most painful things that I learned when I was going through my burnout is, I used to think I was a good leader, right? And I, I tried really hard. Like, I really cared about my team and I cared about their well being and our success. And like, I poured all of my, and I completely ignored my own needs. And I thought that was the right way to do it. Like, I took servant leadership to mean martyr leadership. Yep. And I was like, oh, I'm doing it right. And guess what? I wasn't. I was bringing my stress to them, I was bringing my overwhelm to them. I, because I was not comfortable with my own uncomfortable emotions, I was not comfortable with theirs. So I created this kind of team environment of complete lack of psychological safety. And for leaders, I'm saying this because I know it's painful to hear, but it's really important. As human beings, we share our emotions and our energy with other people. Whether you think you are or not, you are. And so if you do not take care of your own emotional, mental and physical well being, what are you bringing to others, right? How are you showing up? And again, like this was the huge painful thing for me to realize because I thought I was hiding my stress really well. I wasn't because it's not about what you say, it's about how you show up. And well, we all know this, right? You walk into a room or even you get on Zoom, you immediately sense the other person, right? Yep. And so self care, especially for leaders, and I define a leader um, in a really unique way, it has nothing to do with how many people you manage or where you are in the org chart. If you have any people to manage, You are a leader if you positively impact other people's capacity to thrive. And you cannot positively impact other people unless you can positively impact yourself first. And so your self-care as a leader is not a luxury, it's your responsibility to yourself, to your work, to everyone you interact with. And if there is one, you know, like I said, I do a lot of work with leaders. I say this to them from the start. I said, I'm gonna tell you all these things you really don't wanna hear. But this is the, the, the only thing we need to talk about because everything else comes after that. So yeah, it's, uh, and again, I speak from experience. I was yeah. that leader. If you said to me, Jay, if you met me seven years ago and you talked to me about self-care, I'd be like, wow, oh my God, that guy. <laughs> all that, yeah, yeah, me. <laughs> I mean, I'd have been the
0: that. same way had you approached me with it. I'm like, mm, I'm good, we're good. Yeah, good. no,
1: yeah, no, that's oh. all. So, okay, so gra- acceptance, gratitude, mm-hmm. self-care. The fourth is intentional kindness. Um, and this is a skill, when I mention intentional kindness, you know, when I'm in an audience face-to-face, usually kind of people are like, why don't we talk about kindness as a skill? Like, we know, random acts of kindness, it's good, I'm a kind person. Well, uh, I think it's wonderful if, you know, everyone listening, if you think you're a kind person, but what I say with love is I don't care. Are you practicing kindness intentionally daily? And the answer for most of us is sometimes. Right. Um, We actually, you know, the interesting thing, every time you do something kind and I define intentional kindness as a skill of doing something to support or elevate another person and not expect anything in return. Anytime you do an act of kindness, your brain releases oxytocin and serotonin, which make you feel good. Your brain really wants you to do kind things because this is how we cooperate with others. But the the thing about kindness is busy interrupts kindness. Right. We get really busy. We forget to be intentional about it. And the other thing, it's actually connected to what we're just talking about. When you're stressed and overwhelmed, you are less kind, right? Because as you said, you have less to give. And so the skill of kindness and compassion, which is compassion is all about recognizing that everyone is struggling with something and you want to do something to alleviate that. The, The thing about kindness is it's the most selfish, selfless act, because when you do something kind just to be of service or help to the other person, the biggest benefit is actually to you you actually benefit the most. There's a lot of research they've done in the workplace where the employees who do kind things are happier than people on the receiving act of kindness. That is how much your brain wants you to be kind, but we have to take it out of random acts of kindness, just something I do sometimes, and into this is a skill, kindness and compassion. That's why I call it intentional kindness that I'm practicing every day. And again, the the trick about it is, it only gives you that benefit if you do it without expecting anything in return. Doing of the kind act is your benefit, and that not expecting anything in return—that's hard for a lot of people. I'll raise my hand. I used to. I I thought after a while after practicing this, I was like, no, 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 I'm not expecting anything in return. And there was like a little thing in the back of my head, and I had to get honest. I was expecting a thank you. So I still was expecting something. And so that takes, that is hard. And that's an obstacle. A lot of people say to me, like when I talk about this, they're like, you know, but I get really bitter. Like I've been doing nice things for my colleague or my friend and they don't return it. And the thing I say to that is kindness is like a boomerang. So when you throw it, it will come back to you. It just may not be that exact boomerang. It may not come back from that person, but there's a lot of research that shows that the more kindness that you do, you create this kindness network around you. And I have so absolutely experienced this in my own life, Jake, to a really, um, I don't know, like a very tangible degree is the more that I just intentionally do kind things, the more they come at me from all kinds of unexpected places. And it's changed the fabric of my life. That's the best way I can describe it. I
0: love it. I love it. So wrapping up today with the fifth element of, uh, element, skill, skill, Skill. emotional fitness. It's a good one. All right. Bring us home. the bigger
1: why. The bigger why. Okay. And the bigger why is the skill of connecting what you're doing every day, the tasks you're doing at home and at work to your sense of purpose by asking yourself how these things contribute to others, how they help others, or how are they helping you reach a meaningful goal? That is where we, as humans, derive our sense of purpose. When we connect what we are doing to how does it help me reach a meaningful goal? How does it help someone else? That is our sense of purpose. And we cannot be happy. We cannot live a fulfilling life. We cannot optimize our emotional fitness without that sense of purpose. One of the most important things about The Bigger Why, and again, this is a powerful lesson I learned, is I think sometimes, you know I don't know if you hear this, but people say to me, you know, Natalie, I don't know what my sense of meaning is in life. Like, I I don't know. What passion am I
0: supposed to follow? I don't know.
1: Exactly. Like, I don't know. And I used to think that too. I was like, I thought it was like my sense of purpose. It was like somewhere out there and I had to like go and find it. It is not out there. It is right here. It is already here within the task, within the stuff you're doing. But we have to practice asking ourselves, okay, like this podcast you and I are recording, how does it help someone else? How does it contribute to someone else? Or I'm going grocery shopping. How does it contribute to someone else? I'm working on this PowerPoint I hate. How does it contribute to someone else? And the beautiful thing is we discover that sense of purpose and that also leads us to, oh, wow, doing these activities has given me a lot of meaning. Let me do more of them, right? And so we discover it by the doing of it and by connecting it to, well, how does it help me reach a long-term goal or help someone else?
0: I love that, and and listeners that have been with the show a little while has heard a previous guest we talked about, and and he mentioned a micro of of uh, why am I blanking on Mike? Dirty jobs and and all sorts of things, and Mike mm. talked about everybody's like follow your passion, follow your passion, follow, and he's and his thought was no, bring your passion to whatever you're doing, which sounds very mm-hmm. similar to because when you bring that passion to whatever you're doing. You, you start looking for how is it helping others? You start looking for how, how am I making life easier on others, which further fuels that passion for you. And you start mm-hmm. seeing those opportunities. So I love hearing how you packaged it with that bigger why, because yeah, people are like, well, I don't, how am I supposed to find my why or my passion? And for a lot of us, the we're only looking internally. Well, well how am I feeling right now? How am, mm-hmm. Versus how am what am I doing? How am what I'm doing right now adding value to others, helping someone else? We're taking that focus off of ourselves on the others. And that from a standpoint changes so many different things. I mean, it's much easier for us uh, from a, a mental focus standpoint to control some of our anxiety, to to be less distracted when we stop thinking about ourselves and how we're feeling and looking in that moment and saying. How can I help this person? How is mm-hmm. what am I doing adding value to them? So I love hearing how you package that with that, with that bigger why. And, and it is crucial. We need that purpose, that, that pursuit for meaningful life.
1: We are not meant to just survive. This is the thing that probably is good to close with, especially given the timing of the pandemic. Like I've heard so many people say, oh, I just want to get through this time and get back to normal. As human beings, we're actually here to grow. Our natural proclivity, our na- I'm like leaning forward as I say, is to grow, is to expand. My favorite definition of resilience is not to bounce back from challenges. I hate that definition. It's to positively adapt to adversity, right? We are meant to grow. but And so that's the, the point. That's why when you connect to your sense of purpose, you, know, it, you actually, it's called a pro-social mindset. Different neurons fire in your brain you're, you're, you feel more fuel. We all know this, right? When you feel passionate about something or you're helping someone or you have a sense of purpose, all of a sudden things are not as annoying. All of a sudden you're getting more stuff done. All of a sudden you have more energy, right? And that's the power of it. That it goes to the core of what drives us as humans. But again, I, my whole focus and everything I do is around how do we make that really practical, right? How do you find that sense of meaning that transcends you and this present moment how do you find it in those annoying things that you're doing every day? And it's by asking these questions. And so I think it's, a, it's, it's especially, I think, relevant for these times we're in because we have an opportunity to grow through this. We have an opportunity to ask ourselves, like, how can I grow? How can I help someone else through this really difficult time? And that actually helps us to get through it with less struggle.
0: I love that. I love that. And a fitting way to, to wrap up today's episode. But before we check out today, you have a book, you have some amazing content online, and you also are working virtually and, and hopefully, as we talked about, eventually back in person again. Yeah. Where can people, one, pick up your book, get connected with you, and what social media platform are you happiest to hang out on?
1: <laughs> awesome. I'll start with the last one. Instagram is my jam. Um, I'm also an artist. The art behind me is my art. I started painting for joy. So Instagram, you can find me Natalie Kogan on Instagram. It's easy. The place to go for all the things is happier.com. You can go there. You can find more info on all the programs I do. There's tons of free videos and blog posts. Uh, Three things I want to call out. I do a weekly live. It's free. It's called Awesome Human Hour. It's on Wednesdays at noon. You can uh, register on happier.com. My book, the current one that's out, it's called happier. Now you can pick it up wherever you like to pick up books. Um, and, uh, you can subscribe to my weekly email on happier.com. I write every single one myself. There is never spam. That would be highly unhappy. It's more stuff like this and stories and practical tips. So those are all the places to find me.
0: I love it, Natalie. Thank you so much for hanging on the show this week.
1: I love your questions. I got to say,
0: thanks for listening to another episode of the compete Everyday podcast. To listen to past episodes, be sure to check out podcast.competeeveryday.com. And to get in touch with the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. Everybody wants to win, but not everybody's willing to compete for that victory. Since you're one who will, show up today and win it. We're cheering for you.